You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. The nasty dark underside that's underreported as well of healthcare is this, that one to five or six Americans are in collections uh, for medical debt. And it's also the reason why 65% of all personal bankruptcies are medical related. So here's the bad punchline. Two of the four largest medical bill collectors are owned by hospitals. Yes, that's right. HCA in Nashville, Tenet in Dallas, Catholic Health Initiatives in Chicago are three major players in the big hospital club. So your caregivers send you outrageous and incoherent bills, and they seem to never stop. And then as you're recovering medically from your surgery or whatever, and you're a little bit in shock over these unpayable bills, the hospital's sister company taps you on the shoulder and starts texting, emailing, and calling you if you're not paying right away. Soon, shaming calls to your family are permitted. That's going to be the law. And it's a one, two, three punch to the gut for one in five Americans helpless and reeling from some kind of a medical situation. And it gets worse. Then the hospital will sell that paper or debt, as they call it, paper they call it, many times over. It might be sold for 40 cents, 20 cents, 10 cents, a penny on the dollar, way downstream years and years ahead. And criminal elements, we now know, get their hands legally on this paper. And when they collect it, the debt, if it's criminal, they do not report to the credit bureau and they're not informed that you've paid the debt. So the harassment continues for life and it even passes on to heirs in some states. And in 39 states, medical debt is a reason for not hiring somebody. Okay, so what's going on here? The majority of American workers make under 15 an hour and three-fourths make under 20 bucks an hour, and they simply do not have the liquidity to meet the $1,500 average deductibles this year. That's 12 days wages. And deductibles and premiums have outpaced pay 20 to one in the past two decades. Virtually all the raises for three-fourths of Americans are sucked into the healthcare insurance vortex, premiums, deductibles, co-pays. While 80% of hospital bills are mistake-ridden, there are zero restrictions what can be charged. 10,000 a day is easy, easy in a hospital to run, but if it's a cardio incident, it could be 80,000. If it's cancer, it could be more for the average hospital stay per day. This is American healthcare at its worst, an epic display of a dark side we hear very little about, it's very little reported, and coupled with health insurance design really for shareholders, not policyholders. So today's show, you're going to meet another of my merry band of troublemakers who's fixing healthcare from the fringes. Change only happens at the top, which would be fed up employers, or at the bottom, which is fed up taxpayers and employees, or at the fringes, entrepreneurs. It's a unicorn sighting to expect DC to fix a mess or for the bigs to self-regulate. Meet today, David Chung. He is the USA head of Carewell Lepu, AIECG. Who are these guys? Well, 
In China, they're a dominant player. It would be like a mashup between Phillips and Johnson and Johnson to 800 and pound gorillas in the cardio space. If it's any device or diagnostics that's cardio related, Lepu simply dominates in Asia. A patient turned AI technologist, David is an American educated engineer. He's worked in industrial service, IT, legal, and healthcare industries. He's a self-described citizen of the world and part sponge for science articles and news. He also has a deeply personal interest in cardiology because at the age of three, he received a blood transfusion that saved his life. And David's sister suffers from a congenital heart defect and has had suffered also mild arrhythmia events. David's passionate on learning the possibility of how AI can eradicate heart disease. Now, I said eradicate carefully because that's exactly what this technology might do. Using an AI technology platform tied to ECGs, electrocardiograms, to accurately predict heart attacks before they occur. David, that's going to change everything in American cardiology, isn't it? I believe so, and I hope so. You know, uh, it wasn't me to do it alone, but um, I'm trying my best. I also want to say that it's not just for America, right? Um, healthcare is a global epidemic problem. So it can be America, it could be other country, it could be anyone. We are, we are in this together. Let's talk about the stakeholders who are going to be a little upset when you deploy this technology <clears throat> with LEPU in American hospitals and clinics around the country. How is pharma going to be threatened by this new uh, change when you can actually predict a heart attack based on an AI-assisted ECG? Is that, is that, am I describing it right? It's an electrocardiogram that's AI-assisted. Is that about right? That's, that's correct, Ron. Okay. So what... Tell me how big pharma is going to be affected by this new technology. I mean, I haven't thought so far about how that far yet. You know, if we are a pharma company and we are indeed in the business of profiting for having more drugs, having having AI ECG now is going to change the game, of course. Um, you are, you know, ultimately you are having a technology that can predict heart attack. So, for example, having a stroke surgery, um, you could literally be safe, have a planned surgery before it happens. And then the profit for the farmer may not, may start dropping now, but, um, of course, uh, the nature would change the game. If the profits start dropping, the farmer will probably develop other drugs that's more, that's just more meaningful for patients. So, you know, the other side of the coin, right? Okay. Let's talk about medical devices. You guys are big into that space. What happens on the medical device side in cardiology, if we can predict strokes and heart attacks with a high degree of accuracy? That uh, way well, I should expand. If I would think about it, you know, you have more uh, uh, cardiovascular devices that's being used right now, but they're not really used to the point of care. Uh, many different brands, many different kinds, but uh, if it, we can easily use in, in integrate this with uh, AI ECG, which is device agnostic, that would be actually allowing to expand where it could be really uh, democratized technology. So make it more accessible. Example would be wearable devices in many. Mm. That's a, is that something that is um, becoming more widespread throughout China and Asia is wearable devices for cardio patients? Absolutely, Rob. You know, you think about it, uh, when you talk about cardiovascular, right? Uh, United States has 28 million patients with some form of heart disease. China has, it's a national crisis right now, 290 million. How do you manage 290 million patients when you have limited amount of uh, hospital or, or services around? Uh, by having them tra uh, really monitor remotely. And you have more devices using the latest technology and having cloud computing so you can manage a bunch of data without hiring 
thousands and thousands of technicians to be able to read it. Now you can really have doctors going to be a lot more happier. When I did research for this interview, David, I found that the medical centers in China are extremely concentrated in some of the major cities. So there are cities of, that are larger than New York City that don't have really significant medical centers to handle cardiology. So what happens, You China has been forced to get into the wearable and telemedicine business just by the nature of distributing the care properly. Is that right? That's correct. You know, um, look at the China's model. It's a single payer system. Every dime that you create, you save, it goes back to the payers, which is all the way up to the top, a single payer, the government. And, you know, as much as you think it's a very high-tech city with a, in the high-tech world of China, you, you walk outside the city, even the emerging market uh, like America, rural hospital, you're two, three hours away. How do we take care of those citizens? I do simply do not have three hours for them when they travel to the hospital with a stroke. Then the doctors just cannot solve the problem. Dying in their own hands, it's just, it's not good. Okay. Um, let's continue on with the stakeholders talking about how are cardiologists either going to be threatened by this or helped by this technology? Yeah. Um, I, I would say more benefit than it's threatened. You know, um, when you have diagnosis that's incorrect, you know, um, the cardiology would be threatened by the members leaving your hospital system. When you have a technology that can actually diagnose incorrectly, the thing about it, you can have more planned surgery and a lot of patients can actually have the first line of diagnosis they could discover where impending, impending heart diseases. So the cardiologist could actually, actually really get a chance to perform the surgery. It's better for the patients. It's more properly allocated resources. So in that side of the coin, I would say that it's really benefit the cardiologist. So it's more of an interventional approach and proactive approach or preventative approach as opposed to let's deal with this after the damage is done to the heart. That's correct. You know, if I were to, if I were going to today, you know, look at America, there are 90,000, close to 90,000 of outpatients treated by ambulance EMT that had no prior symptoms. That could be mom, dad, athletes, you see, no prior symptoms. What if I tell you one day I have a technology that could discover those that I would know the heart attack before that happened for the 90,000? Hmm. What would it mean to those 90,000 populations? So it's a lot better mm -hmm. to treatment, Proact proactive. Yes. Preventive uh, is a lot better than reactive. Right now, I think this is what's happening in our healthcare system. So in my 20s, I had a panic attack as a new dad. I was freaking out over being a father, and I thought it was a heart attack. It had the exact same symptoms, I thought. So how would something like this uh, avoid, or let's, let's say clear up misread ECGs or misdiagnosed heart disease? How, would, how is this technology going to prevent... Uh, a lot of mistakes. First of all, how big a problem is misread ECGs? Is that an issue in America? Um, that number, I do have not studied the numbers. I know the number is closer to even the four or five percent would be a big number. Um, you know, you have a couple million studies in a year, right? Um, and then four or five percent would be, I think, say around a hundred thousand. So a hundred thousand in between. That's could be a lot of depth in between. So is AI going to shut that down? Not exactly. Uh, AI is not a magic pill. Um, AI is going to reduce it. So think about uh, cardiologists, you know, we are really stressed, everyone. They have, they have big workload, cases after cases. And sometimes you make a mistake, we're only human after all. So there's also bias. 
you know, one doctor we have looked at it next, the other cardiologists have different opinions. So human make mistakes. So having AI combined with cardiologists would reduce dramatically. And if we, as a matter of fact, we've seen that application in even an airport and city hall already in other side of the uh, in other side of the world. So this is an FDA approved um, device. This is an FDA. This is going to happen. This is happening. And um, I think you sent me some data that showed me Mayo Clinic did a study where a panel of 450,000 patients went through the database and the AI was tested. But more importantly, 47 million patients, heart ECG data was uh, run through the system in China. So y'all apparently, Lepu, tell me a little bit about Lepu's um, presence in China. I think you're in a lot of different businesses there, aren't you? Yes, yes. Lepu is... Uh... The list just goes on and on. Uh, Lepu is a giant ecosystem of China. It is the largest pacemaker cardiovascular manufacturer in China. It is, has its own stents, bioabsorbable stents, R&D development with um, nanotechnology, and it's a stents balloon drug maker. It's also a biopharmer. It is also in telehealth, telemedicines. Um, it's also a little bit of Google because it, it, is, it does telehealth system and telemedicine. So it's connected to a network with a lot of data. Um, what else is it? Precision medicine as well. So, uh, you know, the company has an aspiration to connect the dot. You know, it's a, it is a ecosystem of companies, com, uh, ecosystem of group comprised of over 150 companies. So yeah. think about the FANG, the, the FANG, right? The FANG group in the United States. So combine them together. Everybody talk to each other. The idea is we have to create a solution. Not only it will work, for hospital or the payers, it has to work for everyone because Lipu also owns hospital, a specialized surgery center for years. The youngest is eight days old. The oldest is 82, 82 years old for heart surgery. So uh, it's just massive amount of data. Okay. So let's talk about now you have this data, you've honed this process down. What degree of accuracy can we predict the patient that's being studied will have an out heart attack? Is there 90% certainty, 95% certainty, 100% certainty? Yeah, good question. Our goal is trying to get to 99. I mean, 100 is, is the best. You know, you think about it, Ron. You know, I have 290 million patients. 1% of error is 2.9 million patients. They could effectively, easily walk into my hospital. Then I'm going to be in problem. If it's predicted incorrectly, they could be using my drug. I'm going to be in problem. My device... I'm going to be in problem. So it has to work for everybody. So uh, at today, it, we, are, we set the threshold at 95%. It will go as high as 99%. So no, make it simple. AI is just not a magic pill. You throw in there, it works. Machine learning, it needs to be trained. It needs to be annotated by board certified cardiologists a lot of time. Uh, it stays at 95% um, at first, and it's device agnostic. So you just plug in anything in there. As long as it's ECG with standardized data, it will read it. It will spit it out, 95%. Um, we set it that way because we are not going to use AI itself. We're going to use AI combined with cardiologists. We're going to set the AI brain to have the comfort level of 95%, like a child, like a cardiologist. If you're not 95% sure this is diagnosis, kick it out. Kick it to a bucket and let a board-certified cardiologist read it. Uh, simple as that, AI plus doctor. Okay. Well, I know a lot of doctors have fear they're going to be replaced by AI, but you're saying you're going to give them superpowers. That you can say that, yeah. We had that, we had that fear as well. Uh, what what would happen when you have uh, AI with a doctor? Are you going to replace a job? But 
But uh, quite contra contrary, when we launched that in China, we also has a similar conference. You know, American is called uh, American College of Cardiologists in China is called Oriental College of Cardiologists, similar. So we put every single doctor to the podium, every one of them uh, very skeptic. At the end of the day, you know, they all agree that having this technology not only could speed up the cost, uh, speed up the care. As well, you know, it will just make their life a lot easier. So it'll free up the time to do more things which they care the most. It's just healthcare. We're not, they're not here to read data. Doctors are not here to read data. Okay, I'm going to ask you a controversial question, and I can't wait to see how you're going to handle this one. But Lepu can basically undercut every American and every Dutch cardiology product that's being used in America and Europe today. You can dramatically undercut it because your labor costs are dramatically lower. And maybe your cost of materials are a bit lower too. So you have, have mentioned to me, it's going to be very, very tough for you to get your stents and your cardiology uh, suite into the American hospital. What's going on there? What makes it so hard to compete basically on price and quality? What's, what's stopping you from deploying in America? More about the image of the branding, right? You know, Ron, think about example is that, you know, why would I buy, why you buy a can of Coke? It's just really about a branding. Uh, why would you buy this pencil or pan? It's all about branding. So does China have the technology to overcome other nations? I think it does, but at the same time, I want to pull back a little bit, you know, how we do not have a desire to bring the technology, everything for the entire portfolio, portfolio to US. Our desire is to democratize technology by extending AI technology. So, and it's also device agnostic, as I mentioned. So anyone can use it. Any device company, go ahead and use it and just help the patients. Um, at the end of the day, you know, whichever has the best technology can grow is a free market. So let the patient choose what works the best. Oh, you're kidding me. The patient never chooses anything in America. We don't even choose uh, hardly our doctors anymore. But that's, uh, okay. a, that's, a, that's a lovely sentiment, though. I know, but uh, I think a lot of patients do choose based on marketing, right? <laughs> Have you seen yeah. marketing on, on the news, uh, this drug and that drug? I mean, I was, I mean, I, I buy, I buy things based on what's being on the TV a lot of time, especially if you look at the demographic, a lot of patients that is really straining the healthcare system, other demographic that watches news has likely more easily swayed by marketing. Um, so um, that's kind of no, no. So. Another, another tip about this is, uh, it's very interesting that I find out, you know, I'm American, but when I find out about Lupu is that, did you know marketing is illegal in other country? They're their country. So I, I asked the CEO, guys, how do you guys market your products? They're like, well, you know, you know it's, it's, it's legal, so we're kind of stuck. So what do you do? How do you compete against other companies in your space? So, well, I mean, we can't spend the money in marketing, so uh, we have forced the students to spend the money in engineering. So, so that's why, you know, one of the first thing I find out about, you have 47 million compared with Mayo, that's half a million. How did you do that? My mind was just blown. Well, we're really forced to spend all the money in engineering, not marketing. So uh, they don't believe in marketing as well. So uh, you, you'll be assured that uh, you won't see me on the news anywhere. I understand. Well, so um, what... What have we missed in our questions today uh, about the AI ECG rollout? When is this happening and uh, how soon can people start expecting to see this? Uh, it will be soon expecting in two weeks. So we've been here for a little bit while. Uh, and, um, you know, as fast as the technology, so AI is a technology that uh, 
it won't work unless it does have a nice platform. So I do understand the American system is you have a perfect technology, but it doesn't network and connect with EMR system or user network, the workflow, make it easy for, for cardiologists. It just won't work. So um, very fortunate we have, uh, we have a good partnership available with good channel partners. It's a very large, well-known telehealth system in America. So uh, we do connections there and we're going to roll out in a couple of weeks. Uh, also, it's, a very, it's an international global telehealth system company. So, so I just uh, want to clarify something you just said, David. The data that's going to read is going to plug or not plug into the EC, um, HR programs? Is it, is it compatible? It is compatible. So uh, a telehealth system, uh, we have systems already compatible for EMR system. So uh, the, the way it works is very simple. Uh, you have the data. It just push it into my cloud, which is on AWS in America. No one sees what happened, just magic. And then and just the report just come back to you. Simple. Okay, I understand. All right, well, look, this has been um, kind of a game changer and uh, we believe that healthcare is going to get fixed from the outside in, not from the inside out. The giants aren't going to fix themselves, but they're going to be pressured to fix themselves when they have competition nipping at their heels. And this is more than nipping at their heels. This is a direct threat, if not a, uh, an enhancement to our healthcare system to uh, the bigs. Right. So, uh, David, thank you very much for your time. Looking forward to seeing how this rolls out and can't wait to uh, see all these successful here. Right. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.